Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're talking with Dr. Richard Horowitz. He's a board-certified internist in private practice in Hyde Park. He has treated over 12,000 chronic Lyme disease patients in the last 30 years. And today, we're discussing his latest national bestseller, How Can I Get Better? An Action Plan for Treating Resistant Lyme and Chronic Disease. So, Dr. Horowitz, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So, what inspired you to write this book? Well, you know, I've been seeing many, many patients over years now um, who've been trying to get better. I did my first book, Why Can't I Get Better?, which was published by St. Martin's Press about four years ago. And my publisher kept asking me to write another soft cover, uh, easier to read book. But I told them that I really didn't want to do another book until I had new information that could really benefit people. And interestingly enough, in the last four years since my first book came out, uh, there was quite a bit of new information from John Hopkins University on how Lyme persists in the body. I published two new studies myself in the literature with uh, new studies on how to treat Lyme disease. There's a lot about environmental toxins that came out. Uh, regarding autism, ALS, Alzheimer's disease, many of the things that we see in the Lyme patients. So there was so much new information and new protocols that were helping patients, I decided that it really was time, in fact, to get a new book out. Well, you know, I think that's great because a lot of what you talk about is um, is should be better known. I mean, the environmental toxins is a big part of my Lyme story, and it actually was years before I realized that. So, I, um, you know, whenever I'm I'm dealing with somebody with Lyme, I want to make sure that that they're aware of how their environment and their food and everything is affecting them. So I'm glad that that's something that you're talking about as well. No, absolutely. In fact, it, it causes a lot of inflammation in the body, and many people don't realize that wrong food choices can cause inflammation. Environmental toxins like heavy metals and mold and vital organic solvents, they all can cause an inflammatory response causing exactly the same symptoms you see with Lyme, and that's exactly why it is so important. Um, well, yeah, it, it definitely. Now, can you tell us exactly what Lyme disease is? Sure. Lyme disease is a bacterial infection that's spread by the bite of an infected tick. Um, So most of the people are getting it by tick bites. Um, But occasionally, and this is important for the listeners to know, it can occasionally be transmitted maternally from a mother to her fetus. So you have to be very, very careful, not just with Lyme disease, but other tick-borne infections. Uh, There's a cousin of Lyme disease called Borrelia miyamotoi, or relapsing fever. That can be transmitted to young children just as Lyme disease can, and it's the same problem with other tick-borne infections like Babesia, which is a malaria-like parasite. It's like getting malaria on top of Lyme disease or Bartonella, cat scratch fever, uh, rickettsial infections like Rocky Mountain spotted fever. All these different tick-borne infections can be transmitted from a mother to child um, in utero, so it's important for women who want to get pregnant to realize the risk. And some of these infections are also in the blood supply. So if you're not using Red Cross Green Blood in the United States, 
They've now found that four out of a thousand blood transfusions contain Babesia, this malaria organism, and we're also now finding Anaplasma, Bartonella, other tick-borne infections in the blood supply. So it's, it's a big problem because the CDC reported that there were over approximately 400,000 cases in the United States last year. They upped their figures by tenfold. So people need to know um, that this is the fastest growing epidemic in the United States at this point, and they really need to pay attention to the symptoms and understand how to diagnose and treat it. So, um, you know, in, in uh, how fast is Lyme actually spreading? I mean, you've been treating it for 30 years, and what changes have you seen in that 30 years? It's spreading quite quickly. The CDC reported figures in 2013 that they underestimated the epidemic by tenfold, uh, where it went from 30,000 to over 300,000. But there's a recent study that was published about two years ago in uh, the CDC journals where they showed that there was a 320% increase in the number of counties in the United States being affected. So Lyme was pretty much spreading in all directions. And at this point, we're pretty much finding it in all 50 states. And uh, it's not just even the Lyme that's spreading. The ticks are containing many of these other infections like Babesia, Bartonella, um, Anaplasma, Ehrlichia, Q fever. So people need to know that it is spreading quickly. And even if you have a negative Lyme test, you have to know that there are other infections in the ticks that can make you sick. So if somebody's bitten by a tick, um, you're recommending that they look for the other infections as well as just the Lyme? That's correct. So usually what we tell patients, um, and especially this is what we do when they come to see me, is we don't just check a standard Lyme test like an ELISA. There are better tests that have come out in the past few years. This is one of the things I highlighted in, in my new book, How Can I Get Better? There's a C6 ELISA. ELISA is spelled E-L-I-S-A. It picks up the Lyme a bit better than the, the standard ELISA, and we use Western blots through uh, Igenix Laboratories in California, which doesn't just check for one strain of Lyme, because there are multiple strains of Lyme in the United States. You can't pick them all up on one blood test. And the problem is, is that if you get, for example, day sweats, night sweats, chills, flushing, um, high fevers, with a tick bite, that could be Babesia, which is this malaria-like organism. So if you're only checking testing for Lyme and you don't check testing for Babesia, you're going to miss it. And we do find that many of our patients who are chronically ill, who've gone from you know, 10 to 20 doctors before they see me, they have Lyme, they have Anaplasma, they have Babesia, they have Bartonella. The rule for us is that there are multiple co-infections that people have. So it's very important uh, for people to understand it's not just about testing for Lyme these days. So when, um, what, what symptoms should people look for if they are worried about this? There, there are some very classic symptoms that you see with Lyme disease that really um, have it stand out from other diseases because Lyme will mimic chronic fatigue syndrome, which otherwise is known as myalgic encephalomyelitis, or recently it's been called systemic exertional intolerance disease. They keep calling uh, chronic fatigue different names, but they still haven't figured out exactly what's causing it, although I'll give you my ideas in a few minutes. But it can mimic chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia. It mimics multiple autoimmune diseases like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis. You can see dementia looking like Alzheimer's disease, multiple psychiatric symptoms. So doctors need to know that if someone's coming in, and, and this is the following story, doc, I've got good and bad days. My symptoms are coming and going. I notice that the joint pain, the muscle pain, 
and or the nerve pain, which is described as tingling, numbness, burning, or stabbing sensations, this pain tends to migrate around my body. One day it's in one place, another day it's someplace else. The migratory nature of Lyme disease is very specific for the disease. Um, There's very few diseases that otherwise cause this. We are about to publish a paper in the scientific journals where we found that at least 90% of the time in 1,600 people who filled out our questionnaire that's in my book that they had this migratory aspect of the pain. So the migratory is very important. Women will notice around their menstrual cycle that they get um, many more symptoms when the estradiol goes down. And someone may not know that they have Lyme disease, but be given an antibiotic for an unrelated infection, like an upper respiratory infection or a urinary tract infection, and they'll say that their chronic fatigue or fibro symptoms, their fatigue, their pain, their headaches, their memory problems, um, all get better or get worse, which is what's called a Herxheimer reaction when you're killing off the bacteria. So coming and going, good and bad days, migratory pain, around the menstrual cycle with the hormones, it changes, symptoms are better or worse with antibiotics. And then on the testing, if you look at your Western blot, there are specific numbers or bands that will tell you if you've had Lyme, and I call this Lyme bingo. In other words, if you have any one of the following five bands, the 23, the 31, the 34, the 39, or the 8393, and these are marked off on the IgenX test, those bands are specific for Lyme. So you're not looking for CDC criteria, which is just for health departments to screen these people uh, in the population. You're looking for those bands with those very classic symptoms. And the questionnaire in my book, if you score over 63 on the questionnaire, we've now discovered that you have a high probability of having Lyme disease. So important because it's mimicking so many other illnesses. So I want to talk about your your questionnaire in a minute, but um, when we get to the testing and you're talking about the CDC, but then you've got this Lyme bingo, can you just explain why there's a discrepancy or a difference on the test? Sure. So, you know, the CDC on the website has previously stated that the Lyme testing is mainly supposed to be for health departments to epidemiologically screen large populations of people. It was never supposed to be meant uh, with this two-tiered testing of an ELISA followed by a Western blot. It was never meant to be used um, to make a clinical diagnosis. So kind of what happened is the insurance companies adopted this model, and there's groups of doctors, certain infectious disease doctors, that have chosen to use that model, but unfortunately, it doesn't work in clinical practice. So the reason we need to look at the bands on the Western blot is that there are many different species of Borrelia. Lyme disease is known as Borrelia burgdorferi, um, specifically Borrelia burgdorferi sensu stricto, but there are other species Borrelia burgdorferi sensulatu, Borrelia miyamotoi, Borrelia afzeli. There are all these different species. They're like cousins of Lyme disease. So the standard testing of the ELISA and the Western blot will not pick up all of these different species. So that's why it's so important to look at these numbers or these bands on the Western blot, or play Lyme bingo, as I like to say, because all these different species share the same common denominator that these numbers will generally show up on the Western blot. Um, so when when we're looking at this, I mean, you're saying that the CDC has this different criteria, and and I know especially you know with my experience, um, when you talk to doctors, they're often not very open to talking about Lyme. And do we do we know why that is? 
Well, unfortunately, Lyme is both a political disease as well as a medical disease. And unfortunately, there are two sets of guidelines for the diagnosis and treatment of Lyme. One is by the Infectious Disease Society of America, otherwise known as the IDSA, and the other group, ILADS, the International Lyme and Associated Diseases Society, of which I was one of the founding members over 17 years ago, their guidelines are completely different. So these two guidelines are out there for doctors. They're very confused by it because the IDSA basically says the tests are reliable and the organisms don't persist. And the ILADS guidelines say the exact opposite. The tests are unreliable and the bacteria of Lyme disease do persist. So, you know, doctors are sometimes hesitant to use the ILADS guidelines because of the politics, because insurance companies have taken sides in a medical debate, and of course the sides they're taking, um, they don't always have to pay for chronic treatment and they save money. Unfortunately, what they're not realizing is that um, the National Census Bureau showed this, that 19% of Americans are disabled in this country, and they're disabled from chronic diseases. So if you ignore the role of Lyme and tick-borne diseases in chronic illness, you're going to miss a lot of these people, in fact, that are disabled, in fact, who have chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia or have been misdiagnosed with an autoimmune disorder like MS. So we have to be very, very careful that people understand the difference, that it is both political and medical. But when we look at the guidelines, my internal medicine journals, Annals of Internal Medicine, they basically said years ago that the IDSA guidelines, that half of the recommendations were just the author's opinions. They were not hard peer-reviewed science. So the ILADS guidelines are actually the only ones right now on the government's website that doctors could look at, but still the insurance companies are debating this. And unfortunately, uh, it is a big problem, but it is changing little by little year after year. Well, you know, even it, here in Canada, even though our, our medical system is different, we seem to have the same politics going on. And what baffles me is when I was at my sickest, I saw pretty much every specialist that there was out there, all of them denying me that, that I had Lyme, when in fact that was actually what was going on. And, and to me, the expense of seeing all those specialists and getting the, all the tests that I got when, when we knew what it was, but they didn't want to treat it, was baffling to me. Yes, and, and in fact, I was just in Canada this past weekend speaking at the Lime Out Loud conference um, in uh, Toronto, as well as another conference for doctors. So I was in Canada just this past weekend, and I met with one of your members of Parliament, Mike Mantha, and he was there for the conference. We gave him all the information on the problems with the testing and treatment, and I actually emailed Justin Trudeau. <laughs> because someone gave awesome. me his email address. So the, the cab driver that drove me to the Toronto conference, he gave me the email address for Justin Trudeau. So while I was there, I emailed your prime minister, by the way, and let him know I awesome. was in Canada in case he wanted to contact me. <laughs> well, you know, he's he's pretty uh, open. So hopefully there's some changes um, and, and uh, maybe he'll uh, write you an email. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yes. Um, so we're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Dr. Richard Horowitz. He um, has treated over 12,000 chronic Lyme disease patients in the last 30 years. And we're just discussing how you can get better. So we'll be back shortly. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
you're busy, stressed, and can't ever seem to find the time to add in those new healthy habits, you need to check out Lisa Lutan's Busy, Stressed, and Food-Obsessed show. This program will help you discover easy ways to improve your health and happiness. Plus, you will pick up all sorts of tips on better eating, fitness, relationships, how to manage stress, and a lot more. You'll feel yourself becoming healthier just by tuning in. Listen live every Thursday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're talking with Dr. Richard Horowitz. Um, This is the second in our um, Lyme series for May, which is Lyme Awareness Month. Dr. Horowitz is the author of How Can I Get Better? An Action Plan for Treating Resistant Lyme and Chronic Disease. So, Dr. Horowitz, in your book, you have a 16-point differential diagnostic map. Can you just tell us what that is? Sure. So, after seeing all of these patients who came to see me, um, I discovered it, it's kind of like going into a doctor's office with 16 nails in your foot and saying that you have foot pain. If the doctor doesn't find all the nails, you're going to continue to have pain. What I discovered year after year seeing patients is that it was not just Lyme, but as we talked earlier, other tick-borne co-infections, which could be other bacteria, parasites like Babesia, uh, viral infections, which could be reactivated, like you could reactivate Epstein-Barr virus or herpes virus 6, um, or have candida and fungal infections. But then also Lyme caused an immune dysfunction. We found, for example, that people would have low immunoglobulins from the Lyme. Uh, They might have autoimmune disease, which looked like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis, but in fact was not. Uh, Lyme can cause Hashimoto's thyroiditis and many different autoimmune manifestations. And and the hallmark of this 16-point model, which I describe as MSIDS, Multiple Systemic Infectious Disease Syndrome, the hallmark and the underlying phenomenon causing all the Lyme symptoms is inflammation, meaning that when you get a tick bite and you get Lyme and co-infections, there are these molecules that are produced in your body called inflammatory cytokines. It's like having a fire in your body. And these molecules, they have specific names, tumor necrosis factor alpha, interleukin-1, IL-6. What they do is these are the molecules that make you tired, that give you pain, that cause headaches, mood swings, sleep disorders. Uh, your memory and concentration doesn't work. So you have to figure out how to get to all the underlying causes of inflammation. So that's where other points on the MSIDS map come in because people are showing up with a lot of environmental toxins. Most are showing up with heavy metals, 
two-thirds of our patients are now testing positive for mold toxins. We're finding pesticides in people with Parkinson's. And then they have what are called functional medicine abnormalities, where the detoxification pathways of trying to get rid of these toxins is clogged up, and it doesn't work. So people, for example, come in where they have a zinc deficiency. If you don't have enough zinc, you have too much inflammation. If you don't have enough copper, you can't handle all the free radicals in the body from the infections, and you get sick from it. It damages the mitochondria, which is the part of your body that makes energy and that controls your nerve function and your heart function. But the line with the inflammation will also affect your hormones. Men come in with low testosterone. Women come in with early menopause. Um, people can't sleep. One of the hallmarks of Lyme is they can't fall asleep. It can take hours or they keep waking up in the middle of the night. That causes inflammation. And then Lyme affects the nerves in the body. So it causes people to have low blood pressure, otherwise known as POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. So that when they're complaining of fatigue and dizziness and palpitations and brain fog where they can't think, it's not just from the bacteria, but from the bacteria causing low blood pressure. And if you don't bring up the blood pressure, people don't get better. And then they come in with food allergies, leaky gut, they're eating too much gluten, um, they're not exercising, they're deconditioned. So in these 30 years, it was like every few years I would discover another point on the model. And we're now finding that these 16 points, if we apply the MSIT model to the people that come in with chronic diseases, we're able to discover the underlying causes, not just cause of Lyme, but causes as to why these people are staying chronically ill. Well, you know, I love the, that you're you're talking about this because in my journey, um, which I think is the best example, um, it, is that all of those things played a role. And I can't look at one thing that I did and say that's what got me better. But I can look about at about ten to fifteen of them and say, yeah, it was this did a little bit, and this was a thing, and this was you know, and this was something I had to do. And all of those all together, you know, got me out of bed and and. Um, you know, got my pain under control and did all those, you know, things. And I went from 120 symptoms to, you know, two that I think is less than what normal people have. Right. Um, and, and, you know, so yeah. it's true that, you know, for some people, it might be one nail in the foot. And for some people, it's four. So as an example, years ago, when I first discovered babesiosis, a 30-year-old woman in a wheelchair came in with drenching night sweats. She'd been paralyzed from the waist down, unable to walk. Um, and it sounded like babesia, but we weren't supposed to have this malaria organism in New York State. And we did a differential. Her thyroids were fine. She wasn't in menopause. In other words, no other reason for the sweats. We discovered the babesia. Ten days on a babesia drug regimen of Mepron and Zithromax, she walked out of her wheelchair for the first time in five years, and she was paralyzed. Another guy comes in. He's got Lyme with rheumatoid arthritis, but he's also, and I, and I call this story in my book, Brad had Lyme, rheumatoid arthritis, and Bagel's disease. So this guy had a true autoimmune disorder with rheumatoid arthritis, but he failed all the drugs from the rheumatologist because he had drenching night sweats, which no one asked him for. First question on my questionnaire, that was Babesia. His joint pain migrated. That was the Lyme. But every Sunday when he ate bagels, lox, and cream cheese, his knees swelled up to four times the size because he was gluten sensitive. And nobody ever bothered to say, get off your allergic foods. Once we treated the Lyme, Babesia, and gluten, all of his symptoms went away. His knee swelling went down. 
we find that there's usually not just one nail, but multiple nails. And once they're found, that's really the hope for the Lyme community. And they need to know this from our talk today. There is hope. You just have to get to all the underlying sources of where the inflammation is coming from. So um, when we're talking about um, the Lyme part of this, what are the treatment options that people have? So with Lyme disease, what I was doing years ago is we know with this bacteria that it has different forms as far as how it hides in the body. So for example, it has what's called a cell wall form, a bacterial cell wall. If you're someone who's taken a penicillin or let's say an IV drug like Rocephin and you feel well, that means you have cell wall forms because those antibiotics go after that particular form. But Lyme also goes inside the cells. It has intracellular forms. And Lyme has what are called cystic forms. Um, they have many different names, cell wall deficient forms, S forms, L forms. These forms, you need different treatments like Plaquenil, grapefruit seed extract, which is a natural treatment for it, Flagyl or tinidazole. But we also know that, pe- that Lyme now forms biofilms. And most chronic infections, we've now discovered through the National Institutes of Health, that there is a biofilm that surrounds these organisms, and also the bugs that are in the biofilms are dormant. So if you're using the standard treatments of herbs or antibiotics, but you don't hit these persisters, these dormant forms that are in the biofilms, people are not going to get better. So the way we treat effectively is we treat the cell wall forms, the cystic forms, the ones that are inside the cells, and these dormant biofilms. And we find that everyone is completely different, um, but we test out these different drugs and or herbs in these patients, because I use a lot of natural therapies. Uh, we use cat's claw, cemento, and banderol. We use traditional Chinese herbs like Coptis hudiana, uh, Byron White protocols. There's many different herbs we use, but we mix and match these different treatment options to fit the individualized response to the people. And we find that many of these people, for example, it's the intracellular forms, and when we mix several different intracellular antibiotics, then people will usually get better. Um, so uh, you talked, uh, you mentioned earlier um, about a, a Herxheimer reaction. Can you just explain about what that is a little more? Sure. So what happens is, is the Lyme is in these different forms in the body, and it's hiding in biofilms, it's hiding deep in the tissues, it hides in the eyes, it hides in the brain cells. Um, so it's hiding in the body, and all of a sudden you go in and you use antibiotics or herbs. Um, people can take herbs like biocidin, stevia extract. It's now been published that stevia extract opens biofilms, and it's the different forms of Borrelia. Um, or even coconut oil extract, loricidin, monolaurin, opens biofilms, hits different forms. When you hit the Lyme disease, the Lyme fights back. So when you're killing off the bacteria, these inflammatory molecules, the same ones that make you sick in Lyme, they start getting released, and you say, oh, I feel much more tired, I have headaches, I have much more pain, my brain fog and memory is much worse. That's a Herxheimer reaction. It was initially described in syphilis uh, many years ago, but that's exactly the reaction people get when we're killing off the bacteria. So how can somebody um, control this reaction? So that's a great question. So, for example, there are switches inside your cells, especially inside the nucleus of your cells. And one of these switches is known as NF-kappa B. So this is a switch that if you turn on the switch, 
it creates all these inflammatory molecules, these inflammatory cytokines. So there are many ways of blocking that switch. You can use a compounded medication like low-dose naltrexone. Naltrexone is used to treat narcotic overdose, but in small doses. It blocks NF-kappa B and it lowers the inflammatory reactions. It's been published in the medical literature for inflammatory bowel, for multiple sclerosis, for fibromyalgia. We've used it in over 1,000 people. But then we use natural products like broccoli seed extract, curcumin, resveratrol, green tea extract. All of these four natural products take something inside your cells called NRF2, it moves it into your nucleus, and it hits these specific genes in your nucleus called antioxidant response element genes. It's like it changes your DNA and it says, hey, shut down the inflammation. So broccoli seed extract and curcumin and green tea, um, all of these, what they will do, resveratrol, they will shut down the inflammatory response. They will open up your detoxification pathways. And certain of these natural substances like broccoli seed extract or it's also called sulforaphane glucosinolate, it also hits the P53 cancer gene to try and prevent cancer. So, for example, my whole family died of cancer, and I take a lot of these supplements myself every day. So if you shut down the inflammatory reaction with LDN, natural products, drainage remedies like lymphatic drainage, um, you use far infrared saunas to move the toxins out of the body. You can bind the toxins using things like clay, charcoal, cholestyramine, well-call. We use this with phosphatidylcholine to push it out of the cells, and by capturing the toxins and by shutting down the inflammatory response, we can help people with these Herxheimer reactions. And finally, and this is one of the easiest and most effective, is we alkalize the body. We give people things like Alka-Seltzer gold or sodium bicarbonate with glutathione. Glutathione is made by your liver it takes fat-soluble toxins and it makes them water-soluble. You can move them out of the body. If we give people 2,000 milligrams of liposomal glutathione, and they're different brands, and we alkalize them 70 to 75% of the time, the Herxheimer reactions go away. And we also use herbs like Smilax, Sarsaparilla, with red root and bone set. These are the herbs that will also shut down Herxheimer reactions. And, and all of this, by the way, because people are listening to this, all of this is explained in great detail in my book. Um, so, I, you know, you, you gave a long list of, of supplements. Um, it is, is everybody given the same thing or is that something that you figure out what the, the person needs for their specific condition or situation? Yes, it's completely individualized because some people have very bad Herxheimer reactions. Some are not so severe. Yes, so it's completely uh, individualized from patient to patient. There, there's not two patients in my practice that are probably on the same protocol. You know, that definitely makes sense because we're all different people. And I and I think even if you look at the complex of Lyme, um, everybody looks different within that as well. And and I would guess that depends on your genetics and the co-infections that you have and everything else. Right. And, and in fact, now that the FDA in the U.S. approved the 23andMe test, people can now check their SNPs, their you know, genetic markers, and find out, for example, how do I detox? Um, there are functional medicine laboratories like Metametrics, uh, Genova, Doctors Data. There are many of them in the U.S. We can take a look and see your individual genetics and how your detoxification pathways are working specifically because everyone is completely different. 
Um, well, it definitely makes sense. It, when when I uh, approached my my genetic issues, it it, um, it made a big difference for me, and I think that's why I was so sick as well. Is just um, you know not detoxing properly and with overexposure to chemicals as well as the Lyme, um, that just can you know, sent me on a huge decline. Whereas if I didn't have the, the genetic issues, those probably wouldn't have bothered me as much as, um, you know, they did. No, it, it makes a huge difference. So for example, for some people, they're not making enough glutathione, which is in the phase two liver pathways. And some people, they don't methylate. So, you know, we check the homocysteine levels, which is a cardiovascular marker. But if your homocysteine is high, you need B6, you need B12, you need um, methylation cofactors like SAMI, and, and we do find, for example, when you're killing the Lyme, and especially these persistent forms of the Lyme called the persisters, these dormant forms in biofilms, which are like a protective coating um, where all of these organisms exist, um, if you can't methylate and you can't detox properly, these people are going to get much worse. And we see that sometimes they need methylation support, they need a lot more glutathione, they need to do far infrared saunas. That really helps these people uh, that get very sick from the treatments. So if somebody is really sick and you're seeing that there's some methylation issues, um, do you spend a lot of time working on that before you start the treatment? Yes, it, it depends on how sensitive they are. For example, some of the patients who come to see me have what's called multiple chemical sensitivity or environmental illness. Those people that are very sensitive, they'll walk into a room, they'll smell fresh paint, volatile organic solvents, they'll smell diesel fuel, they'll be on the streets of New York, and they say, I get really sick, or they walk into a moldy environment. You know if those people have that type of chemical sensitivity. You know you're going to need to work the detoxification pathways and look at glutathione, look at methylation, look at SNPs. You're going to have to do that in those type of people because they're going to be very sensitive to the type of treatments, whether using classical antibiotics or using natural uh, herbal therapies. So when somebody comes into your office after you do your 16-point diagnostic map, um, is it different where you start with people, or is there usually something that you'll address first? Right. So, so what will happen is when people fill out the um, HMQ, the Horowitz MSITS questionnaire, which is in the book, and it's also on my website, cangetbetter.com, if they fill that out, and let's say I see the first question is, um, I'm a man, and in my 30s, I'm having drenching day sweats, drenching night sweats. The first joke I ask them is, you must be in menop- menopause. And <laughs> what it turns out, of course, it's Babesia. If you don't treat the Babesia, these people won't get better. Um, if you don't treat, for example, Bartonella, some people have very specific Bartonella symptoms, very bad nerve pain, neuropathy, very bad brain fog, encephalopathy, new onsets of seizure disorder. Uh, I'll give you an example. A 15-year-old comes in from the south to see me. She's in a wheelchair. She's seen eight doctors. She's seizing. She's on 480 milligrams of morphine sulfate for pain. Nothing is getting her better. She can't eat. She can't poop. She's basically dying. The mother flies her up to see me. She fills out the questionnaire. She's 15. First question, she has drenching sweats. She has babesia. She has pain. I said, does your pain migrate? She said, how do you know? I said, well, that's the hallmark of Lyme. I then lift up her shirt and examine her, and she's got stretch marks, which are perpendicular to her skin planes, which are classic for Bartonella. And then I try standing her out of her wheelchair, and the minute she tries standing up, she drops her blood pressure, and her pulse goes up over 30 beats. She has POTS dysautonomia. She went out of the office on doxycycline and rifampin to treat the Lyman Bartonella. 
I treated her with Florinef, a drug to bring up her blood pressure with salt and fluids. I gave her Malarone and Artemisia for the Babesia. And one month later, she comes in, walking out of a wheelchair, no seizures, off all the narcotics with not one symptom. So how did I know where to start? It was a history and physical. It was taking a history. You have the sweats. You have the migratory pain. You have low blood pressure. We basically take a proper history and make sure we go through the 16 points, and it usually will tell us the clues because we already know in advance that Lyme, Babesia, Bartonella, low blood pressure-like POTS, food allergies, leaky gut, not getting to sleep, hormone disorders like low adrenals. Those are probably the top things out of those 16 points that are keeping people chronically ill. Okay, so um, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be back shortly. We're talking today with Dr. Richard Horowitz. He's the author of How Can I Get Better? An Action Plan for Treating Resistant Lyme and Chronic Disease. We'll be back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. We're talking today with Dr. Richard Horowitz. Um, he's treated uh, 12,000, uh, over 12,000 chronic Lyme disease patients in the last 30 years. And uh, we're just discussing how we can get you better. Um, so, Dr. Horowitz, when we're looking at Lyme, one of the, the big issues I know is immune dysfunction and autoimmunity. What can somebody do to address that? Right. So, Lyme causes a lot of autoimmune reactions in the body. You get antithyroid antibodies. They're called antithyroid peroxidase and antithyroglobulins. So you could get like a Hashimoto's thyroid picture. Um, you will see anti-nuclear antibodies that are positive, which are seen in lupus, but they're also seen in Lyme. You can have rheumatoid factors that are positive, but people don't have rheumatoid arthritis. They have Lyme, 
causing the rheumatoid factors to be there. Uh, they can get what's called anti-gangliocyte antibodies. These are the antibodies that are autoimmune, causing nerve pain or neuropathy. And you can even get uh, the brain being affected with an autoimmune encephalopathy, where you get brain autoantibodies that are produced with Lyme disease and also associated environmental toxins. So a lot of the autoimmune reactions we see with Lyme, once you treat the Lyme, and once you treat the co-infections, especially Babesia, Bartonella, mycoplasma species, because mycoplasma also have been associated in the medical literature with certain autoimmune diseases, once we start treating the immune dysfunction, and one of the things we need to do with this is what we were talking about earlier, is you do use things like low-dose naltrexone that has been published in the literature to help with these autoimmune problems. You can use disease-modifying drugs like Plaquenil or hydroxychloroquine, which helps to regulate your immune dysfunction in the body. You can use a lot of these natural herbs like curcumin, resveratrol, broccoli seed, green tea, which helps to calm down some of these overstimulated immune systems. Um, you can detoxify the body because mercury cause has now been associated with hundreds of autoimmune conditions and mercury goes upward through your nerves into the brain and can cause an MS type picture in people. So the way you kind of work with the autoimmunity and immune dysfunction is you get rid of the environmental toxins because the medical literature has now shown that there are approximately 50 million Americans who have autoimmune diseases. They're now linking them up to environmental toxins like small particle pollution, um, ozone, um, asbestos, um, volatile organic solvents, BPA, which is showing up in the plastics with plasticizers. We now know that Lyme, in combination with environmental toxins, contributes to autoimmune reactions. So one of the best ways to do this is basically make sure you go through the MSITS model, look for all the overlapping factors that cause autoimmunity and cause an immune inflammatory response. So in other words, you get your diet clean, you get off gluten, you get off, off all your allergic foods, which for most people is wheat, dairy, sugar, sometimes corn, you get off GMOs. Um, you basically clean up the diet, get the microbiome in order, because they've now shown that different bacteria in your colon, the microbiome, causes autoimmune reactions. We know that too much Clostridium species in the gut contributes to MS. Too much Prevotella species contributes to cardiovascular disease. So you work the gut. You work the microbiome and the bacteria. You get your diet healthy. You get to sleep. You replace the minerals. Um, you basically address the Lyme and these environmental toxins, and a lot of times you'll see that these autoimmune reactions will, in fact, go down over time. We have tremendous success treating people, for example, who've just been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis or MS, um, but in fact, they had Lyme and environmental toxins and overlapping factors on the 16-point MSITS model, which were keeping them ill. Um, so when we're talking about the, the gut part, um, which I think is basic for, for anybody, um, and you mentioned some of it. Um, I think maybe you mentioned all of it. Is there anything else that people need to know or where they should start with that? Yeah, so, you know, the gut inflammation, people, I think, really don't give enough importance to the role of the GI system. It's your first place where your immune system basically kind of deals with um, environmental antigens, and that's why your IgA molecules kind of go after those food 
food allergens you may have in there. But people may not realize that it's been published in the medical literature that in a lot of arthritis that people get, it's coming, in fact, from foods that your body recognizes as foreign antigens, and it's associated with something called leaky gut. And the way that you diagnose leaky gut is you can do a specialized test through a functional medicine lab called a CDSA, Comprehensive Digestive Stool Analysis. You can check to see if you have food allergens, both IgE, immediate food allergies, or IgG, delayed food hypersensitivity. There's a test called the Zonulin test, Z-O-N-U-L-I-N, which tells you if you have leaky gut, because if you have too much zonulin, which is like the glue in between the, the intestinal cells, that means you're getting your food molecules across your intestinal barrier, they get into your bloodstream, and your immune system thinks they're foreign invaders and starts attacking them. So this kind of leaky gut, which can be associated with candida in the gut, plays a big role in a lot of people driving the inflammatory process. And also there are people that have histamine sensitivity. They might have a specific medical disorder called mast cell activation or mastocytosis. These people release histamine. So for example, in my case, I'm a histamine releaser. My wife affectionately calls me itchy richy because <laughs> if I eat the wrong foods, I'm itching all over my body and she can literally take her nail and write my name on my back. She'll come up in like 10 seconds because I'm releasing histamine. So anyone who's listening who has asthma, allergic rhinitis, hypoglycemia, who notices they're itching a lot or have resistant migraines or stomach pain, histamine, which comes from leaky gut and can come from mast cell activation, people sometimes have to get not only cleaning up their diet off gluten and food allergens, but off histamine. And for example, my wife had intractable migraines, and once she got off histamine, all of her migraines went away, and all of her stomach pain went away. So the gut is extremely important that you work with your doctor, or if you're going to a naturopath and a functional medicine doctor, they evaluate the gut to make sure it's not contributing to the inflammatory response. So by histamine, you mean through foods? Yes. So I mean, you can get histamine from environmental allergens, like you could be sneezing and dripping from ragweed or environmental allergens. Um, that will cause histamine also. But for a lot of people, the histamine is coming from allergic foods. And people get um, spreading food allergies because when you have a leaky gut and these macromolecules of food are getting across your leaky intestinal barrier, you start getting these spreading food allergies, and they'll cause the same symptoms you see with Lyme. You get fatigue. You get headaches. It contributes to joint pain. So people have to be very careful because histamine and food allergies can be overlapping and making the Lyme symptoms much worse. So when we're also talking about the the environmental toxins, so part of my story is I, I had um, – illness and fatigue before this happened, but I moved my practice into a, a building and a clinic that was actually brand new. It was only about two months since it had been built. And right. within within months, I completely declined. And we, of course, couldn't figure out why because nobody talked about this back then. And uh, it, it was years later when I did renovation of my house where because I moved out of that clinic within a, a year or two. And so years later, when I had exposure again, when I put my whole life together of what had actually happened... And that's a that's a dr- dramatic explanation or, or situation, and most people aren't that exposed. But I think it's it's important for people to be aware how much that can be contributing to what's going on for them. Oh, oh, absolutely. In fact, you know, when you look at 
know, everyone now in the United States and worldwide, they're looking at the cost of chronic illness and solutions for chronic disease. And they don't realize that chronic disease is accounting for 86% of our annual health care costs in our country, 70% of deaths. And all the recent studies are showing that roughly, as we talked about earlier, one in five Americans is disabled. And the studies are showing a link with chronic infections like Lyme disease mixed with environmental toxins. So, for example, in the last four years, and I highlighted this in, in this new book, How Can I Get Better?, we talk about how with Alzheimer's disease, nine out of 16 points on the MSITS model have been published in the medical literature in the last four years to be associated with Alzheimer's. They're finding Lyme in the brains of Alzheimer's disease. They're finding herpes viruses, chlamydia and pneumonia. Um, but they're also finding environmental toxins like pesticides. In the autism rates that have gone up, from 1 to 150 in 2000 to 1 to 68 in 2012. They're finding that the closer women live to highways, exposed to mercury, lead, methylene chloride, um, all of these different toxins, they have a much higher risk of getting autism. And the same thing with Parkinson's. ALS, they're now showing environmental toxins. And many of the autoimmune diseases, which are 50 million Americans. So the environmental toxins have really not been given, um, I think, enough importance in looking at why people stay chronically ill, especially when you mix it with the role of a lot of these chronic infections. Well, you know, um, when... Um, when I was at my sickest, I would feel okay, and then I would um, start putting my laundry away. And I never succeeded in the two years I was in that one, two years I was in that office to actually putting my laundry away in one go. And then I realized I was using unscented Tide, and I was reacting to the chemicals in my laundry. And yeah. I, I was I was never able to fully get through putting it away because I was folding and stirring it up. And, um, um, you know, I, I realize that now, but, you know, I've done shows on toxins and, and we talk about how um, women, as an example, are exposed to 500 chemicals just getting ready in the morning. And, and you know, I don't think anybody feels good, whether we have mm -hmm. Lyme or not. Right. And, and the, the problem, again, with women is one of the studies that was done in California several years ago about these toxins is they found up to 50 different pesticide residues showing up in the breast milk of women who are breastfeeding. So, you know, we're, we're really, we're not understanding at this point, I think, that these environmental toxins, which are getting in, I mean, I have a whole, six, about two-thirds of my patients now are testing positive for mold toxins, and not everyone is mold sensitive. There are certain genetic predispositions, but if you're one of these people that is sensitive to mold, the mold may be contributing to why you're not feeling better, and one of the mold toxins we're finding are called gliotoxins. These gliotoxins are immunosuppressive. They suppress your immune system from fighting infections. So Lyme suppresses your immune system, Babesia suppresses your immune system from getting rid of certain parasites. Bartonella suppresses your immune system. And then you've got toxins like mercury causing autoimmunity, also causing problems with immunity, with mold toxins. So these environmental toxins are contributing, I think, to a whole host of illnesses. But because there's so many that are getting into people's bodies, um, it's not so obvious for a doctor to say, oh, yes, it's one cause, right, one disease, because we're all exposed to hundreds of these chemicals every day. Um, so when, when we're looking at, at the mold aspect, um, what should people be looking out for to see if that's in their environment or affecting them? So I think one of the most important things you can do if you're sick and you can't figure out answers is do some basic environmental testing. Um, there's a lab, for example, in New York called PACTOX, P-A-C-T-O-X. You can do a whole host of environmental testing. The six-hour urine DMSA challenge 
uh, from Doctors Data in Chicago. It's a $60 test to check for heavy metals like mercury, lead, arsenic, cadmium, aluminum. Um, the mold testing can be done through uh, by a urine test through Real Times Labs in Texas. Um, again, you can use some of even of your local labs. They'll check for pesticide residues like DDT. So you can check for these things, but you've got to ask your doctor to look for them. Um, and I think it's particularly important if you have an unexplained chronic fatiguing musculoskeletal illness like chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, autoimmune. You've got to start looking at those environmental toxins because um, it does affect the Lyme, how you get over it. Um, it will affect the hormones in your body uh, because, as we talked about, Lyme will affect the hormones. These environmental toxins can affect it. Um, you can actually get thyroid-blocking antibodies from some of them. And the Lyme is affecting your other hormones like your adrenals. So if you have low adrenal function, you could fix everything else on the MSITS map, give the right herbs, give the right uh, in- antibiotics, get people to sleep, uh, get out the toxins. But if the hormones are affected and you're not dealing with the load of toxins, the people may not get better. So it's, it's very important, step by step, if you're chronically ill, unexplained illness, just not feeling well, just go through the 16-point model with your healthcare provider, and often you'll see that there are answers there. So um, can you just explain a little bit about what adrenals are? Sure. So there are multiple hormones in the body. You have a master gland um, in your brain called the pituitary gland. Um, And there's a series of hormones that are in the body, and the pituitary is kind of the master control of those hormones. So you have your thyroid function that deals with whether you're feeling hot or cold or gaining weight and how your energy is. The adrenals are right above your kidneys. They also affect, for example, your ability to handle stress. Um, And if your adrenals are not functioning properly, you can't handle the infections. You'll feel chronically tired all the time and and really just never feel like you've got enough energy to get through the day um, and you won't fight the infections properly. So the sex hormones, the male hormones, the female hormones, the thyroid hormones, the adrenal hormones, um, some of the hormones from the back of the pituitary, like affecting how you urinate in the body, all of the hormones can be affected when you get Lyme disease, so it's very important, again, if you're chronically ill and can't figure out why you're not getting better, to ask your doctor to check the hormones. So there's, um, there's a, a, a lot more information in your book, and um, I, I think you and I could talk for hours. Um, but fortunately, we're going to have to end the show. So how can people um, find you or your, the, your book if they want more of this information? Right. So my book is it's online at the online retailers like Amazon.com, BarnesandNobles.com. Um, it's in all the major book stores right now, uh, so it should be very easy to find. Um, you can follow me on Facebook, Dr. Richard Horowitz. Um, I also have a Twitter feed. And my website is CanGetBetter.com, uh, C-A-N-G-E-T, CanGetBetter.com. So that's where people can get more information. Um, and again, I wrote this new book. Um, it's easier to read than the first book. Many of the people who've read it told me it gives them a very good overview of not just Lyme, but many of the chronic conditions they're dealing with, um, which I think is really the hallmark of these 21st century chronic epidemics. And I, you know, I just want to finish off with this, that uh, my book is available at most major booksellers. It's on Amazon.com, BarnesandNobles.com. Uh, it's in all the major bookstores. So you can find it there on my website, CanGetBetter.com. We'll give you more information on how to get better if you're suffering, again, from a chronic, unexplained, uh, fatiguing musculoskeletal illness that you've gone from doctor to doctor and just can't get answers. 
Well, the, you know, this has been um, really informative, and I hope anybody, whether they have Lyme or a chronic illness, does get your book because I think, um, you know, you're approaching a lot of information that um, we need to start talking about more in our society. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an honor to have you. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. So today we are talking with Dr. Richard Horowitz. He's the author of How Can I Get Better? An Action Plan for Treating Resistant Lyme and Chronic Disease. This is the second in our series uh, for May for Lyme Awareness Month. So if you are affected by Lyme or chronic illness, please tune into these shows so that you can learn more and be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week.